The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Why would we force an intervention like that on competent adults of sound mind, overriding their, their right to informed consent, their right to informed refusal, which is a centerpiece of, of medical ethics, going, going back to the Nuremberg Code in the wake of World War II. It's been clear that informed consent uh, for competent adults needs to be respected to avoid various kinds of uh, abuses, whether in research with human beings or in a clinical setting where you're giving uh, treatments to human beings. All of us have the right uh, to decide what goes into our body. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, that was the voice of a good friend of the show and a brilliant mind, Dr. Aaron Cariotti. He was speaking with Epic TV just a few days ago about how science is being weaponized to create a medical dystopia. And uh, he'll be joining me in a second here. If you want to get on board, feel free to dial in. I've been following his story for a while, uh, and, and it's an amazing one. Uh, you know, he actually recently lost his job as a ripple effect, a byproduct of, of COVID. We'll fill you in on the story and tell you what's happening here. Uh, as you know, personally, I am just getting over a case of COVID. It had run through the Mariani household, and it's really a strange disease. I've never never had anything like it before, and I know it affects everybody very differently. I mean, some people it sends to, you know, to the hospital. They're on ventilators. I know people God has called home because of COVID, and I know others who treat it like it's, it treats them like a common cold. Um, you know, I, I, I think in the morning I'm fine. A little bit later in the day as I started broadcasting, the malaise, the tiredness, it would hit me. I could barely make it through the through the broadcast. Um, you know, I now have natural immunity. Uh, and praise God. <laughs> you know, for for some reason, our, our government and a lot of private entities aren't recognizing um, the fact that people who have had COVID are pretty much immune, at least to the strain that they've had. Now, I reported earlier today. I think there's something like five million people um, who called out of work. You know, as a result of of COVID. I mean, this is going around. We're, we're dealing with this giant spike. Five million Americans are out of out sick today due to the Omicron variant. It's leading to a breakdown in, in services. Um, so yeah, if you're not battling it yourself, you know somebody who is, or you know somebody who's just gotten over it. There's been a whole bunch of studies uh, in, in one way or another that point to the fact that if you've had COVID, you're more than likely, you know, not to get it again. So that's pretty good news. If you do get it, it's more than likely you're probably going to have a much more mild case than if you'd never had COVID before. So the most famous study, of course, is that Israeli one that we've talked about in the past where they found that unvaccinated people who have had COVID, they're 27 times less likely to get another case of it. 27 times less likely. Yeah, I wonder how true that is because I'll give you two scenarios. I've got a daughter who had COVID twice. I have a friend who was vaxxed and boosted and had COVID and couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I hope those numbers are true. There's a study from the Cleveland Clinic. It followed healthcare workers who had already had COVID, and they found that despite these repeated exposures to it, none of the workers got sick again. So that's some good news. And there's tons of other studies along this line as well. But it's, it's not really what the medical literature is showing. Uh, at one academic center, that wasn't good enough to keep a very excellent doctor on their staff. Uh, the University of California at Irvine, uh, 
like a lot of other schools, uh, they wanted their faculty and their staff to be vaccinated. So the vast majority of them did. But Dr. Aaron Cariotti, uh, he told the powers there, he said, I don't need to. He says, look, I've already had COVID. So I've got a natural immunity and I've got some reservations. I don't want to get the shot. So the natural immunity should have been enough. He submitted his test results to his superior showing that he had the antibodies to COVID and enough of them to knock the disease out. But guess what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. The authorities there demanded he get the vaccine. And that's all they wanted to hear. They didn't care about anything else. They didn't want to look at the science. They wanted him to be vaccinated, period. So they put the screws to him. And then they finally fired him in the middle of December. And uh, I remember talking to Dr. Curiati about this. I mean, are you going to lose your job over this? Are you willing to go that far? Would they really get rid of you? And he was willing to walk that plank. Um, Dr. Curiati was an associate clinical professor of psychiatry and the director of the bioethics program at the University of California at Irvine School of Medicine until mid-December. He's now in private practice. He told me some stuff off air. I won't tell you on air, but it's pretty telling. And I, the reason why he didn't get vaccinated um, and uh, it gave me some pause, to be honest with you. It's good to have him with us today. I wanted to bring him back just to do a follow-up on a story, see where he is and where this is all leading. Doctor, thank you for your patience, and thank you for uh, for your boldness. It's good to have you with me. Thanks, Drew. It's good to be with you, as always. Hey, this is an important issue. Like I said, I just got over COVID. Most of my family members have just gotten it as well. I, I was around COVID sick patients for two years and never got it. I remember I often share the story of my daughter uh, the day before she really got sick, lost her smell and everything, I ate her steak, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm done. I'm going to be sick. She didn't finish her dinner, so I finished her meal, you know, but for some reason I somehow evaded the first few variants, but uh, this last one got me. But it raises questions for me now about natural immunity. Um, I know you've had COVID. It's a, a long established scientific principle uh, of natural immunity. By the time you were fired, there were all kinds of studies supporting the idea um, what were your superiors telling you, um, and what, why was it so important that they absolutely wanted you to get vaccinated, even though you had the data and the science to say that, that you're, you know, you had the antibodies? So the people who are making these all or nothing vaccine mandate policies don't seem terribly influenced, uh, influenced by evidence or data. And they don't seem very interested in nuance either. So, and I think there's a couple of things at work there. One is a sort of risk management consideration that legally, if, if we do everything for everyone that we can to try to um, stop the spread of COVID, then nobody can blame us if there are infections. Um, there may still be infections, but at least we've we can publicly say that we've done everything so i think that's that's part of it lawyers are sort of advising universities toward these all or nothing policies just so that they could say that they've done everything uh, that's one factor there are also financial factors at work here so we know that the federal government is incentivizing hospitals using medicare and medicaid money to try to get their vaccination numbers up. And that, and that includes their own staff and, and faculty at the hospitals. So there's what I believe is actually a conflict of interest there because um, 
they're basing these policies not necessarily on what's in the best interest of the individuals getting vaccinated, but based upon certain metrics that they're trying to right. hit in order to get better reimbursement uh, from uh, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, from essentially the federal government. And that money is very important for hospitals to operate. That's their largest single payer. You know, there's private insurance, there's uh, other sources of income for uh, large healthcare systems and hospitals, but Medicare is, is definitely a big one. Um, so the, the federal government can really dictate a lot of policy by tying it to Medicare dollars. And in fact, that's what happened with the counting of COVID cases. And you're seeing our public health establishment now finally acknowledging what people like me have been saying for two years, which is the numbers that we're getting on COVID are not accurate because hospitals are not drawing a distinction between people with COVID uh, that are sick and people that are sick from COVID, where COVID is actually the cause of the illness. So I remember seeing a patient a young woman who tested positive for COVID had no symptoms of the illness, which is not unusual in younger people to have an asymptomatic uh, positive test. And uh, yet she was hospitalized on an isolation unit. Uh, she was there for suicidal thinking. She was there for psych psychiatric reasons and for her safety. Um, but she was on the medical floor in one of the COVID rooms. And, you know, we had to suit up when we went in there. Uh, to see her with all the PPE and so forth. She was counted as a COVID case in the hospital, even though she was entirely free of any symptoms of, of the illness. Uh, and that was tied to money as well. So hospitals were reimbursed more uh, for this, you know, giving the same treatment to the same patient if that patient was diagnosed with COVID. So there were these kind of perverse financial incentives at work uh, operating with diagnoses at that time and with death, death certificates as well. Um, and now those perverse incentives are also at work uh, driving a lot of the vaccine policies. And when you mix, mix up financial incentives with public health measures, then, you know, the end result is not always good public policy or, or uh, not always policy that's necessarily conducive to public health. And I, I think we're seeing that now with the vaccine mandates. Yeah. Is it the mindset of the administration, those in charge right now, that vaccines really are the remedy, the solution to the the pandemic? And, and this is really the driver. And then, of course, we have the financial component you just articulated, which is a driver for some of the medical community, but um, insurance companies, et cetera. But, but the mindset, the ideology that's really behind this, I've never seen anything so heavily pushed and promoted. Uh, and look, there's all sorts of vaccines that are out. A lot of people have been vaccinated. Majority of Americans have. Uh, Israel's practically entirely vaccinated. Uh, yeah. What's 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 the mindset behind this? You know, there are some people who get worried when the government gets so heavy handed, if you will, to push something like this. They almost, you know, get into a conspiratorial type of mindset. But mm -hmm. is it just that they really believe this is the solution to the problem and they, they want people to get it? I mean, what's your mindset? How do you how do you interpret that? I should say. Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say six months to a year ago, there were a lot of people in the public health establishment that certainly were true believers that vaccines are not only the best way out of the pandemic, but they're the only way out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that storyline of how things are supposed to go was created and, and pushed 
and sort of promulgated prior to the advent of the vaccines, right? So the, the, when the lockdowns were, were staying in place, the unspoken assumption was that we have to stay locked down until we get a safe and effective vaccine. And they didn't want to come out and say it back then because then the natural question people would have is, <laughs> how long is that going to take? And, you know, we're hearing that that could take a long time. Um, so they, they managed to more or less do that. They managed to keep much of the country locked down until January of 2021 uh, when the vaccines became available. And then the vaccines were supposed to be our ticket to freedom. And I think a lot of people believed that that was going to happen. Certainly a lot of people wanted to believe that that was going to happen. But it didn't take very long before evidence started emerging, challenging that narrative. So vaccine efficacy against infection started to decline after about four months, hmm. uh, four months after the second the second dose. And so there was a lot of denial about that fact for a long time until the evidence became overwhelming. Then finally, a, a, what I would consider very late admission that vaccine efficacy for the these novel mRNA vaccines does not last very long, certainly not as long as we had hoped. Um, then folks were still holding out hope that vaccine efficacy was going to remain robust against severe symptoms, hospitalization, and death. And to some extent, it has. So the vaccines are not, vaccine efficacy is not entirely uh, gone at this right. point with the Omicron variant. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> but certainly, um, efficacy against infection is very, very low. I just saw a preprint, <clears throat> excuse me, article today uh, that suggested that against the Omicron variant, vaccine efficacy is about 27% now, which is not zero, but it's certainly nowhere near the right. uh, FDA's threshold for approving uh, a vaccine. And I, I think at this point, honest people in the public health establishment know <clears throat> even if they don't want to come out and say it, that while the vaccines may have some limited usefulness in, in preventing more severe disease, especially among uh, older individuals that may be at higher risk, uh, they're not going to stop the spread of this variant. They're not going to stop people, people getting infected or having to quarantine or, or you know, not being able to go into work. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing the narrative start to shift around the vaccine on the one hand, but, but we're also seeing people double down on vaccine mandates on the other hand. So my own uh, previous institution up until recently, I was at UC Irvine, as you mentioned, um, they announced recently a booster mandate. As of January 31st, everyone at the university needs to have gotten their third shot, a booster shot, uh, or they will meet the same fate that I'm at. They will be, uh, they'll be fired, or if they're a student, they'll be kicked out of school and all this is based on a kind of wing and a prayer we don't actually have good evidence um that booster shots are gonna are, are gonna do much for very long in fact that study that i just mentioned a moment ago that 27 percent was among people that had gotten three shots so those are people fully vaccinated plus wow. a third shot uh and the uh, the vaccines may have worked better against the original wild type or the alpha variant, because right. uh, that's what they were designed for. They were designed for that spike protein 
on that original variant. But that's precisely the part of the virus that's mutating. Um, and the, the variants that are emerging as dominant are precisely the ones that can evade immunity. And that vaccine-induced immunity is easier to evade than natural immunity because it's more narrowly focused just on the spike protein, whereas natural immunity produces antibody and T-cell responses to multiple parts on the virus and not just the, the spike protein. Let's talk about that for a minute, too, if we could, because two things here. One, if you have natural immunity and you've not been vaccinated, should you get vaccinated or, or no? And then we have an email from a listener as well uh, that came in and says, hey, can you explain measuring immunity by circulating antibodies? It's not congruent, they say, with how the immune system works. It's long-term immunity is confirmed by B cells in the bone marrow and T cells, long-term memory cells. Um, your thoughts, if you could answer those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Let me start with the, the latter question, because this is a, a question a lot of people have. And there's a lot of talk out there that suggests that your immunity declines when your antibody declines. And if your antibodies are high, then your immunity is high. And while there is a weak correlation between antibody levels and immunity, it's, it's only that. It's only a weak correlation because your antibodies always eventually decline for whether it's from natural immunity or from vaccination our body cannot maintain circulating antibodies against every pathogen that we've ever encountered. Um, the, the energy requirements for that would just be too high and our blood would be like sludge from all the protein in, in the blood from all those antibodies. Uh, so that's not how the immune system works. What happens after your antibody levels decline is that the cells that make antibodies, the B cells, which are the precursor to the cell that makes antibodies, uh, remain primed to ramp up antibody production uh, like a hundredfold when they see that same virus again. So you may not have circulating antibodies, but you have the cells that are going to produce a much more rapid, much more robust memory antibody response the second or third time you encounter that same virus or a similar virus, maybe a new variant of the virus. Uh, there's another branch of the immune system that involves T cells, and T cells kill cells that are infected with the virus. So that works differently than the antibody mechanism. And, um, and you're correct that there's, there's those B cells in the bone marrow, there's T cells circulating and in our lymphatic tissue and in uh, our lung tissue, actually, some the, the, the tissues that were actually the source of, you know, where the inflammation and where the original infection was. So, your immune system maintains defenses actually where those defenses need to be most, and those defenses remain robust uh, long-term. Now, there are some studies that suggest that natural immunity might be declining a little bit against the Omicron variant, but not nearly as much as vaccine immunity. So that, that gap between natural immunity and vaccine immunity continues to widen, and the vaccines uh, are declining more quickly than natural immunity is, which again is what we would expect as as the virus evolves. Um, we don't know exactly how long natural immunity is going to last, although there's studies going at least 10 to 12 months showing uh, that it remains strong for that long. But the, the closest viral cousin to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the virus that causes COVID-19, mm -hmm. is the original SARS virus. 
And that original SARS outbreak was drew now almost 18 years ago. And one of the interesting things that we found is that people who were exposed and recovered from SARS 18 years later still have very strong natural immunity against SARS. And they even have some cross immunity against COVID. Uh, It's not perfectly protective, but it's, it's more protective than if they hadn't been exposed to that, that related virus. So, so the most closely related virus that we have out there shows natural immunity lasting 18 years. And so I think we have plausible reason to believe that our natural immunity is going to remain strong uh, long, long term. New variants could cause some you know, modest diminishing of that level of immunity, but that's not actually really a problem. This is not something that people that have recovered from COVID should, should lay awake fretting about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is actually how our immune system works, Drew, that if, you're re- if and when you're re-exposed to that virus, you could, get a, you could get a mild symptomatic illness. A reinfection is rare but possible. But all the evidence that we have suggests that the symptoms are more mild than the original infection. Uh, there have been almost no deaths reported with reinfections, very few hospitalizations. Um, and so... Your first bout with COVID is bound to be much more severe than any subsequent bouts. So, you know, is it possible that three, five years from now, as the virus becomes endemic and seasonal, uh, that you could get, you know, mild cold-like symptoms again from uh, SARS-CoV-2 or a new variant? Yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, but our immune system will learn to adapt to this virus. And as, yeah. especially as kids are exposed to it at young ages and re-exposed to it at various points in their lives, um, we're, we're not going to see the kind of mortality and morbidity numbers down the road that we're seeing now. That the, the problem now, Drew, is that those elderly individuals who are at risk of hospitalization and death, they were never exposed to COVID as a young child when, you know, kids do very, very well with, uh, with COVID. Um, so those are the folks that we need to try to do more focused protection for. We need to develop better treatments for COVID for an early. We need to get those folks early treatments, which can be effective at reducing their odds of, of getting really sick. Um, so so th- those are the folks that I think we, we really need to focus our attention on locking down all of society, mandating the vaccines as a one size fits all policy uh, rather than using them in a targeted and focused way. Those strategies have not worked. You know, we're seeing those strategies fail now in real time, as many people that are vaccinated and boosted are nonetheless getting infected with COVID, where I, I think folks are realizing that uh, the vaccines, we sort of overpromised and underdelivered on what people yeah, could expect from the vaccine. Yet, yet the medical establishment says that people who have had it, if you had COVID, you should get the vaccine because it will strengthen your immunity. Is there evidence for that? If you yeah. had it, that, okay, you're going to yeah, get you're in a little bit more of a bump? Let's talk about that. It's a really great question. So-called hybrid immunity. So the argument has shifted from, uh, you know, natural, let's ignore natural immunity entirely to, okay, natural immunity is important, um, but you can still get a bump in your immunity if you get boosted. Here's the evidence that we have for boosters. All the evidence that we have for boosters is based on laboratory values. And what I mean by that is you take somebody with natural immunity, you give them one or two more shots of the the vaccine, 
And you can see an antibody bump after you give the vaccine to those folks. Now, as I mentioned before, antibodies don't always correlate to the level of immunity. So all of the evidence that we have for vaccines are evidence uh, for a change in a laboratory value, a change in your level of circulating antibodies. Is it possible that that improves your immunity? It's possible. But what we really need are studies establishing that that changes actual clinical outcomes, right? We need evidence that that actually reduces symptomatic illness, hospitalization, or death. And that's evidence that we don't have. The largest study that, that tried to look at that, the Israeli study, showed that if you give somebody with, with natural immunity a vaccine, you, take, you, you go from a 99.87% uh, protection against reinfection to a 99.8% protection against reinfection. So in other words, it's, it's not a clinic, clinically meaningful change. Uh, there was no there was no evidence in improvement uh, from uh, from actual clinical outcomes like symptomatic illness or hospitalization or death with so-called hybrid immunity. So that's that's one thing that we need to keep in mind. Another thing we need to keep in mind is uh, there are now a few studies, and I don't want to put this out there as well-established scientific fact. It's a working hypothesis that has some evidence behind it. But there's some evidence suggesting that giving a vaccine to people who already have natural immunity might actually diminish their immunity a little bit because it takes a very broad immunity and then focuses it more narrowly on just the spike protein from that original variant, which is precisely the part of the virus that is mutating to avoid vaccine immunity. So again, I, I I don't want listeners to, to think Dr. Cariotti says vaccines are going to diminish your immunity if you have natural immunity, but it is a working hypothesis that has some evidence behind it. Another thing that has, I think, considerable evidence behind it is there's, there's about half a dozen studies now, Drew, that suggest that individuals with natural immunity may be at higher risk of vaccine adverse effects, vaccine side effects, um, because it may be like giving someone rather than giving them their first or their second dose, it may be more like giving them their third or fourth or fifth dose of vaccine. You might be revving up the immune response to that spike protein too high if you combine natural immunity uh, with additional uh, vaccine doses. So, so when I look at that data, do I see a higher risk of side effects? I see that it won't clinically help and some evidence that it might even harm my immunity. I just don't I just don't see a compelling case for individuals with natural immunity to subject themselves to the risk of vaccination. On the other hand, I support informed consent. So if people look at the data, they decide they still want the vaccine. I would support that that decision. What I want to make sure is that people have accurate information on which to base those decisions. Well, doctor, I want to thank you for your time. I could speak to you an hour. So much to talk about your case and so much else that's unfolding we'll have to bring you back but thank you for the clarity and uh thanks for uh you know all that you've done in this i know you, a lot of people have been following your case very very closely and um i hope one day that uh, perhaps you'll get reinstated at uh university of california irvine so but uh thanks, we'll talk Drew. again soon okay very good thank you you got it that's dr aaron curiati i've got to take a short pause stay with me i'll be right back
Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. I can't help but look around and feel like minds are slowly starting to change. Cause even if you're triple vaccinated, know that segregation isn't the way. Uh, uh. Freedom is a choice and it's available to all if we choose. But first things first, you gotta turn off the news. Yeah, what about the healthcare workers? What about the frontline nurses? How quickly we forget that they were working 18 hours a day. What about informed consent? What about due diligence? It seems the country that I used to call home is surely slipping away. Uh. Heavenly Father, show me what I don't understand yet. I got my marching orders, I don't fully know the plan yet. Hold on to my Bible before bed, no, it ain't banned yet. Did you know the makers of the vaccine make the Xanax? I would never lean on corporations for morality. Cause they put their profits over people for their salaries. No, they wanna make you bend the knee for your normality. I know you're feeling all alone, but in reality, there's way more of us in them. There's way more of us than them. Now that is a song, if you're wondering what that's all about, that has just hit viral status on YouTube, underlined with footage from protests around the world. Uh, simple, very solid message. My producer, Maggie, uh, actually came across that earlier today. And Maggie, open your mic. Let's talk about that for a quick moment. We'll go to Dr. Tabali. What's happening and why is this resonating? Well... I, I think it's resonating because so many people that come on talk shows um, that have sort of this mindset that, you know, you should be able to have in, informed dialogue and, and to be able to have dissent and, and still talk about it um, yeah. are getting removed from platforms. And so you have artists like this one who are starting to come out and say, wait a second, uh, part of art is being able to talk to the problems of our times and um he's using it's a beautiful video actually it's just him in a studio and he pulls down his mask and starts singing uh and then it's it's littered with all of this b-roll from um from protests all around the world uh that are happening about this issue and and so you you hear the song there uh, it's very thought-provoking. It's it's thoughtful. It's not um, incendiary in any way. It's it's just it, like we should be able to have these these discussions, yeah. right? So this it, morning when I I saw it, it it you know had about sixty thousand views, and I mean this is just hours later, and uh, it's got almost three hundred thousand. Wow, that's amazing. You have to link over to so people can check. Yeah, it out. I'll put it on. Twitter. That's what's so amazing. You and I spoke just a couple hours ago about this, mm-hmm. and it was at sixty. You said, "Oh, it's going viral," mm-hmm. and now three hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. The bigger something gets, the bigger it gets. That's really, really quite telling. Maggie, thank you. Thanks for tracking that yeah, down. You bet. Appreciate it. Uh, as you heard at the beginning of the broadcast here, uh, businesses around the country are having a, a hard time right now. Some are struggling to stay open. Uh, some are struggling. You've probably seen this to get products on their shelves. Uh, the problem is, is that COVID. It's in resurgence. I was reading Jim Garrity at the National Review. He says, America is out sick week, right? The, the John Hopkins data. 
for the week ending December 26, I think there was 1.4 million new cases of COVID, which was a spike, but it didn't beat the record set back in July. But a week later, the number was up to 2.8 million cases. As of yesterday, 5 million new cases reported last week. 5 million people out sick with Omicron. That number may be even higher because there are a lot of people who have, well, they haven't even bothered to get tested. You know, I had a sister who was sick and she's like, oh, you know, I'm so sick. The, the, the wait was like five days. So I, I'm just going to fight through whatever this is. And I bet she's one of a number of people. You just can't get testing now. Some, some areas need Dr. Script. So, uh, you know, there was one doctor who called this a tsunami of COVID. And while President Biden and a lot of other officials keep saying that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, I think you're hearing a lot of reports, as you just heard, of fully vaccinated people getting it. Uh, AOC, right, from the squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's one of the latest high-profile people to report having COVID, despite having two vaccines and a booster. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, she wasn't happy. I don't know if you heard anything she said. She was not too happy about it either. I mean, I think she thought... She'd be vaxxed and boosted and be fine. She was on The View recently, and she says, you know, I was all excited, and you know, they, they, they have to test us, and, you know, they sent some people to test me, and they tested me, and it was like, oh, no, you're not coming back. She says, you know, we're not sending anybody to your house. You've got corona. And it was like, wait, what? She says, shocked. Did not expect it because she had been fully vaccinated. And I'm sure a whole lot of other people are, are saying the same thing. The federal government is pushing... Uh, people to get the booster shot big time and how they're doing it. Uh, some questions last week, the CDC, they changed the language they were using, you know, where we talked about this, right, from 14 or 10 days down to five. Dr. Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins University, a well-known epidemiologist, he tweeted out, he said this, he said, quote, the CDC just did it. As I predicted, they changed their language. Get a booster. Are you up to date? Question mark. He says, this manipulation of words implies that low-risk people without a booster are out of date. It also sets the stage for frequent boosters. So let's talk about the tsunami of, uh, of, of, of COVID cases. Uh, you know, vaccinated people are getting it. Unvaccinated people are getting it, right? What are we seeing and what is coming next? I've invited back again Dr. Robert Tabali to join the conversation, a clinical assistant professor of medicine at the University of Illinois and a very gifted infectious disease doc. Dr. Tabali, thanks for your time again today. It's good to talk with you. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing better, uh, Drew. And uh, most people that get COVID do pretty good, but uh, a lot of people don't. And it's impossible to tell who's going to do well and who's going to do poorly. And uh, it uh, surprises me every every day. Um, you know, how, how well some people do and how poorly others do. So we're, we're just seeing an overwhelming surge of COVID in the Chicago area where I practice. And uh, virtually all our ICU beds in, our, in my area are, are full. There might be a couple open, um, but of the dozens of ICU beds, they're all full. We have a lot of people who were infected maybe four or six weeks ago who linger on in the ICU. Um, but it's a constant parade of people. Um, some people are coming to the emergency room now to get tested <laughs> because they can't get tested anywhere else. And the ER wait is less than waiting for a test in another outpatient avenue. Um, we got that new medicine, Paxlovid, um, from Pfizer. 
that was allotted to certain pharmacies in the Chicagoland area, well, excuse me, in Illinois area uh, through Walgreens. They, they're partnered with the state. And I imagine most states that got their allotment, they have similar partnerships with uh, preferred uh, partners. And within, within two days, um, you know, the medicine's like all gone. And then we don't have um, hardly any immune globulin, uh, the monoclonals, anymore. Um, State of Illinois got an allotment of 10,000 doses from the federal government. And um, now if someone needs it, you know, if we have somebody with a severe immunodeficiency um, that is either uh, vaccinated and symptomatic or whatever, normally we'd like to get them in within 24 hours to get that. They're scheduling now for eight to, eight to 10 days out, which actually almost takes wow. them outside the window of being right. able to give it. And then a lot of a lot of places don't have it, yeah. and it's unclear, you know, what happened. Whether the the monoclonals were not ordered again, which is probably the case, um, uh, but no one really knows because it's in the deep dark recesses of government. But um, you know, I Doctor uh, I can I, tell. I, no, go ahead, hey, please. If if I if there's one thing I, I don't want to forget doing this, but please. Take zinc every day, take vitamin D3, 4,000 units a day, and if you get COVID, take an aspirin a day as long as you don't have a contraindication for that. Take, you know, And that's very, very important. The, the yeah. vitamin D and the zinc very important uh, for uh, to prepare people to get COVID. I, I think we're all going to get exposed to it one way or another through this yeah. wave. This, the, the wave in South Africa... <clears throat> From start to finish, it was about three weeks. It looks like, you know, they called it an ice pick rather than a, um, um, a wave. Uh, so uh, uh, we're, we're seeing the brunt of it here. We've been dealing with it now for about maybe 14 days. Mm-hmm. And so if we're anything like South Africa, <clears throat> maybe within a week or so, we'll start to peak and then a downward decline. But the USA, I think yesterday, had 630,000 new cases. And that, that doesn't count the people who are testing at home or don't get tested, as you said. But in the, in the biggest uh, wave that we had, uh, what, eight months ago, um, mm-hmm. um, the highest uh, new case count we ever had was like uh, 220,000. There's 630,000 new cases yesterday. And every day, a half a million people now. It raises a lot of questions for me as to how bad it is. I and mean, we're talking about 5 million uh, people. You call it a tsunami. Other people are calling it an explosion. Um, this Omicron variant is making its way through the population. How, I mean, this is really not a fair question. I don't know if you can even answer but how big do you think the numbers actually are? I mean, these are people that have been tested and have come back. But like my sister, who was really hit by it, maybe even my brother-in-law, um, never got official test results back because they never went. The wait was too long and... She thought, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to deal with it. Where, where do you, um, you know, if, if you had to take an estimate, how, how bad is this? How pervasive is it? Well, in all those cases that are identified and all the people that are admitted to the hospital, the, the hospitalization numbers are up, but it's probably all due to the overwhelming nature of this all pervasive, you know, mm-hmm. wave of coronavirus passing through our country. Uh, it's touching everyone. And I, I, I actually think, think that it's it's not out of out of the realm of reason to think that you know 95 percent or more of the united states the people in the u.s will be exposed to this variant within the next couple of weeks and they they may they they if they if you get exposed to it you're going to get infected and if you get infected um, a lot of people 
don't hardly have any symptoms. It's just like a little cold to them. If um, the more times you get COVID, uh, the less uh, severe it is. Um, you know, a lot of people who are vaccinated and have normal immune systems are, are barely symptomatic with this at all. They might have some sniffles or some headaches. Other people who um, who are vaccinated maybe in the distant past and not gotten boosted or anything like that, they may get a really, really, really bad cold or what you might well, think of when you get influenza in the past. But it, it, But, you know, again, a lot of the patients I take care of in the hospital are, you know, just overwhelmingly ill, you know. Yeah. Hey, doctor, I think a short break. When we come back, let's let's talk more. I, I would love to get your take also just on everybody's saying, hey, it's Omicron. But, you know, mine was very pulmonary, very respiratory. Um, you know, it hit me kind of hard, hit other people hard. Um, so it, it, for everyone, it's it's not as, you know, innocent as, as a cold. For many, it is. I know several people who got it and had no side effects. Love to get your take on these other variants and, and where they are. Plus, a lot of people are asking about that natural sweetener that might fight viruses and bacteria. I'll tell you about it. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. What's important for people to understand is that exposure to the virus will create durable immunity. And it will help you to move forward with some degree of hope that I don't need to continue living my life in fear. I don't need to continue fearing every person that I encounter as a potential threat to my health and well-being because our immune systems are designed to deal with pathogens. The the closest relative to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, is the original SARS virus. And that virus uh, was, the outbreak from that virus was now 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago. One of the interesting findings is that the natural immunity of people who got the original SARS virus is still good 17 years later. And in fact, there's some cross immunity against COVID. So the closest viral cousin to this um, particular pathogen uh, shows long-term durable natural immunity. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Aaron Curiarity on immune systems and SARS virus. And I found just totally fascinating. That was our last guest speaking on the beauty and the strength of our immune systems. If you missed part of that conversation, Maggie will have all of today's conversations up probably about an hour after we're off the air. You know, several people have been uh, asking me about an article that I came across recently on a natural sweetener that may fight viruses and bacteria. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this. I can always ask Dr. Tabali, who's uh, our guest today, an infectious disease doc. But the article that I came across claimed that xylitol, which is a natural low-calorie sweetener, uh, has a whole lot of different benefits. It's very popular. I think it's extracted from birch trees. It's found in plums and strawberries and raspberries, and it can help some uh, help you know with the immune system at least modulate some of those those properties. Um, and they they claim that xylitol might also represent good news in the fight against viruses like influenza and and colds. Uh, of course, you know which antibiotics can't treat. In fact. The prescription of antibiotics for viral conditions drives antibiotic-resistant 
bacteria and it's discouraged by health agencies like the FDA. So um, you might want to check out xylitol. I'll see if I can't find that article and uh, have Maggie post it for you on our Twitter page. I hope you'll follow us on Twitter at Drew Mariani Show. It's an interesting read and you could do your own due diligence on that. My guest today, Dr. Robert Tabali. Dr. I don't know if you know anything about xylitol and whether or not that would have an effect. I'll, I'll throw that out to you, but um, kind of a natural or uh, an alternative, I think, approach to this. Uh, have you heard or read anything about other things that are effective in the fight against COVID? Well, the xylitol, as I understand it, uh, has some effect on the T-cell arm of the immune system and kind of promotes that activity and may prompt mm-hmm. a, a, a more brisk response to a viral infection. I, I would caution people not to take too much xylitol. I, I think, um, but I'm not sure, but I, I think it might be uh, like sorbitol, which is a, in diabetic, it can be very sweet, but it, it's not absorbed and it can cause uh, something called osmotic diarrhea. So I, I would just, uh, I, I haven't seen it around too much in too many things. It's in a few That's products, good. xylitol. But uh, it's not a commonly available agent. Just something that came across the radar, I thought we'd throw it out. I'm glad you're here with me to answer that. A colleague of mine here at the network says, hey, can you ask Dr. Tabali a question for me? He says, and this is a great question. He says, why have therapeutics not been emphasized early in the treatment, uh, in in that whole protocol by the Biden, Fauci, and CDC, you know, approach to this, to the administration? There's a doctor out there, a guy named Dr. Peter McAuliffe, who says that hundreds of thousands could have been saved with, with early therapeutics. And we're really not hearing a whole lot about them. Yeah, it's really kind of sad. I mean, are you trying to get me to lose my license also? Like a lot of the people have <laughs> talked about this. But, uh, I'll Peter hit the McCullough, mute button, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just between you and me, right? Just between Nobody's the two of us, Doc. That's it. Yeah, just like Connie, Connie Chang and uh, Newt Gingrich's mother. But, um, uh, you know... It, it it defies logic, in all honesty, because for two years we've had nothing from, you know, getting infected till needing to be hospitalized and put on a ventilator or something. We had nothing in between. So what is the problem? I don't I don't see the logical problem in in allowing people to do things as long as it's not going to harm them. And uh, there's a lot of evidence around the world that some of these things that have been used are effective to some degree at least early in in the infection. And we saw the outbreaks in Mexico and India have a significant response to the use of ivermectin widely distributed in treatment packs that people were told to start taking once they got symptoms. And Japan adopted the, the use of ivermectin. And if you look at uh, Japan's COVID uh, incidents, it's been relatively flat, near zero, uh, since they started doing that. Now, they're bumping up a little bit with the Omicron, but it's not clear how... Um, uh, how how you know how bad that'll be there? Um, but as as you pointed out earlier, there's not just the Omicron right now, but there's Delta still circulating, and Delta can cause a significant illness. And so it's thought that maybe 90% of the cases right now are Omicron, and maybe 10% are Delta. But it's um, it's not clear whether Omicron itself can cause severe illness as well. Now, getting back to Dr. McAuliffe, the poor guy. I mean, he's a you know really widely published. Um, in a certain area of cardiology, and um, he actually got disenfranchised from Baylor, and they they sued him so that he wouldn't say anymore that he's a, you know that he uh, is a professor at Baylor, and he's you know a lot of a lot of these folks that you hear about or read about you know uh, talking um, about this stuff, 
um, as a philosopher, if the definition of a philosopher is an honest person um, seeking truth and talking out loud, that's really kind of what these folks are. And mm-hmm. but um, people, for some reason, um, the powers that be don't don't want you seeking truth and talking out loud. <laughs> they want you to be quiet. Yeah, right. um, but uh, I, I I just don't understand. Um, why uh, trials haven't gone forward with um, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. I mean, there was an article in 2005 that everybody points to, hydroxychloroquine, very potent inhibitor of the SARS virus in, in, a, test, in, in a, a Petri dish. And, um, you know, why wasn't that picked up on? But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's let's Let's do this, Doctor. I only have a couple minutes for you, so let's grab a call or two before we run out of time. Rochelle been waiting to join the conversation. She's got a question for you. Rochelle, thank you for calling. Thank you so much, uh, Drew. Thank you for ministry. And doctor, thank you for being so courageous. Um, I have a quick question. I have a nine-year-old who I haven't vaccinated uh, because of uh, the potential adverse effects. And uh, I'm wondering if that has, uh, you know, um, do you still advocate vaccinating um, nine-year-olds? you know? nine-year-olds, and kind of what other, uh, like, long-term adverse effects that you know of, because it's really hard to find that data. Well, I really think that people should have choice. Okay, so I'm, I'm different than maybe the CDC and the, the Biden administration, but I think people should have choice. But I strongly recommend people with immune compromising, compromising conditions to please get vaccinated, because the vaccine helps you. It doesn't. It, the, the person that gets vaccinated doesn't help society really, other than keeping people from getting so sick. But it doesn't stop transmission. But it, the person that gets vaccinated has a, a significant degree of protection against serious illness and death. And if you're immunocompromised for whatever reason—cancer, organ transplant, diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, stuff like that—and kids have that too—then um, those folks really, really please get vaccinated. Um, but if you're a nor, you know, I don't understand the push to vaccinate children who are otherwise normal, uh, because when you actually look at the adjusted risks, uh, the risks of vaccination um, may be as higher, if if not more 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 high, than um, the risks of acquiring a, nor- a native disease or a natural uh, disease from COVID. Uh, so I personally. Um, I'm not a strong proponent of vaccination for all children, uh, but again, if if a child has a high risk condition, certainly I think that they should be vaccinated. Um, well, doctor, I've got to leave it right there because I have a less than a minute to go. I just want to put people in touch with you if they want to tap into your expertise or your practice or in the Chicago area. What's the best way to track you down? Uh, it's uh, germbusters.com. That's germbusters with an S.com. And please, uh, every day, could could everyone please say a Hail Mary and an Our Father for all the people that are suffering and the families that are suffering as well from loss of uh, people with COVID. Thank hey, you. Doctor, thank you. What a beautiful call. What a beautiful way to end the program. Thank you for all you do. It's Dr. Robert Tabali. He'll be back again. We will certainly tap into his expertise. Uh, my gratitude for his time. Uh, On behalf of uh, Maggie and uh, Tom and everyone who works on the show, thank you for allowing us to be part of your afternoon and giving you a look at life you won't find anywhere else. We'll be back tomorrow.